Hello. Hello. Salam and good evening to you, worthy friend. Please, please, come closer. Uh, too close, a little too close. Welcome to the Disney Brit Podcast for Wednesday the 18th of July 2012 and it is me joining you as always, I'm Gucci and I'm on my own this week, I've got no Juz, I've got no Kez, I've got absolutely nobody so it's just going to be entirely me and we've got some great stuff lined up for you as always and uh, we're going to be bringing you some news and rumours as we always have, I've got a few news and rumours I wanted to share with you this week and then we've got an interview, a fantastic interview uh, with two authors, Newton Lee and uh, Christina Madge, uh, who, um, Madej, sorry, not Madge, Madej, uh, who both have written a book called Disney Stories, where it looks at Disney storytelling through the ages, through the use of modern technology, and uh, how basically the Disney company do it all together. And we've got that and a little bit of an announcement later on about some changes to how the Disney Brit podcast is going to work, a new show that we started working on that some of you may or may not have heard of. Um, it was on uh, Orlando Sky Radio sort of a week and a bit ago and we we sort of gave you some late notice to come and have a listen to that and enjoy that uh but that's pretty much going to be the entire show so without uh any further ado i suppose we better get on with some disney brit news and rumors good morning sire good morning zazu checking in with the morning report fire away Let's bring you some news and rumours from around Walt Disney World. And we're going to start ourselves off in Epcot this week. Some great bits of uh, news that have come out with regards to food, mainly. The first one is uh, Le Sanlier in the Canadian Pavilion in Walt Disney World in the World Showcase of Epcot. And there's a... Apparently, it's going to become a full-time signature restaurant as of 2013. Now, we know it's already a signature dinner restaurant, but not for lunch. And it seems that according to the uh, literature and the brochures that have come out for the 2013 Disney Dining Plan, they are indeed going to be taking it up to that signature level. And it means two dining credits to eat there. Now, it's one of the very few resorts uh, and also theme park restaurants that have got this signature level. Uh, In fact, only two uh, restaurants in the whole 
of Walt Disney World are inside the theme park. So a reminder, they've got Gico in Animal Kingdom Lodge, the Flying Fish Cafe and the Boardwalk, California Grill, which of course is closing in January for a good few months. We've then got Citricos and Narcoosies in the Grand Floridian, Artist Point in Wilderness Lodge, Yoxman Steakhouse in the Yacht and Beach Club, the Hollywood Brown Derby in Hollywood Studios, and now of course Le Cellier will be joining that list. Now it means that for your two credits you are going to get an appetizer, an entree, a dessert and a non-alcoholic beverage per person. The dress code is going to be slightly different because it's a signature restaurant. It's resort casual and not permitted in the dining room are tank tops, swimming suits or swimsuit cover-ups, hats for gentlemen and cut-offs, torn clothing any other kind or t-shirts with offensive language and or graphics so if you are thinking of going to Le Cellier in 2013 you're planning on taking that free dining plan with you or even planning on paying for it it's going to uh, cost you two credits now to eat Le Cellier personally I'm not sure whether I'd go to Le Cellier and pay two credits for it. Uh, it it's just a little bit too much maybe I don't know but uh, personally I wouldn't necessarily go for two dining credits for that Okay, let's uh, continue looking at the uh, Epcot's Food and Wine Special Events. Registration begins August 14th of this year, and they've got some uh, extra special events going on. Of course, the uh, Senses Party is coming back, but it says, along with wine and mixology seminars and culinary demos, we can't wait to try a couple of new experiences for 2012. They're going to have a Marketplace VIP Access Chef Tour. It's going to begin at 10.30am every Wednesday, with tastes from selected marketplaces around World Showcase Lagoon, and you get behind-the-scenes stories from the chefs. You get five pre-selected dishes and five beverages, which will be wine, beer, and cocktail on the tour which takes about two hours cost is $90 plus tax and park admission and the Italian pavilion is also adding a new Italian regional food and wine luncheon which is going to take place in the Tutto Gusto wine cellar there's going to be pairing wines with casual authentic dishes and they says the luncheon will take place between noon and two Wednesday and Saturdays cost is $75 plus tax uh, there's also going to be some other great events including places like Via Napoli and there's the white truffle lunch which is going to be on November the 4th in Tutto, Italia. The party for the census, of course, I've already mentioned, that's coming up again with a new tiered pricing system. Reserve table on the main floor is going to be $170 plus tax. A reserve table in the premium wine view lounge is $270 plus tax. And general admission is $145 plus tax. Both of the reserve seating options also include a speciality cocktail and early admission at 7.15. If you want to know more about this, you can go to 407-939-3378, that's WDWFest, or visit www.epcotfoodfestival.com for the latest news, but there'll be more information coming later on in July, so we understand. Okay, we are going to be going over to the Magic Kingdom, or to be honest, the whole of the Walt Disney World Resort, because this week Disney have launched the uh, Photo Pass Plus system. It's for both Disneyland Resort and Walt Disney World Resort, and they wanted to share some news this week about ways to save on Photo Pass Plus packages at both resorts this summer, and it's been by pre-ordering online before your visit, and it's dead easy to do. You just go over to the special pages, and you then order before you go, and just to let you know what's included. You get a voucher to exchange for your Disney Photo Pass Plus card, uh, Disney's Photo Gallery CD with hundreds of stock photos, a unique code to create and order a photo CD, 
a print package at a select dining locations and digital photos with select attractions. So there's all of our Walt Disney World news for this week, but I think we've got something from Disneyland Paris. So Disneyland Paris news. Well, uh, you know that I quite enjoy going to my terrific nights over in Walt uh, in Disneyland Paris, Walt Disney World still. No news about whether it's coming over there. But we do believe, once again, in 2012, the event will be returning for two nights only, currently penciled in for the 26th and 27th of October. Now, the event holds a capacity of around 7,000 people per night, and if it's anything like last year, it will sell out in advance. So if you're thinking about going... Currently, the details we have got is that it's going to be taking place on the 26th and the 27th of October. We do also believe that they will be holding their usual not-so-scary Halloween parties and their Halloween party on the evening of Halloween itself. So loads and loads of uh, stuff going on. So uh, if you are interested in that, we will keep you updated as to what's going on with Terrorific Night. Well, that's all the news and rumours that we currently have for you. Uh, Next up, we're going to bring you that great interview from Disney Stories. So we'll be back with you in a few seconds. Attraction Tickets Direct is the UK's number one ticket provider for Disney, Universal, and the worlds of Discovery Parks. They offer unbeatable prices and expert advice on all the major tickets and attractions in Orlando, California, and Paris. The service Attraction Tickets Direct provides is second to none. Lines are open 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. seven days a week. Customers receive real tickets, not vouchers, within seven days. And there are no hidden extras, such as credit card fees or postage surcharges. Now that's what you call great service. Log on to www.attractionticketsdirect.com or call toll-free on 0800-975-0002. Hi everyone, this is Craig Duncan. Please come and join me for my soul show every Sunday at 9 o'clock UK, 4pm Eastern. You'll only find me on Orlando Sky Radio. Come by and say hi. Want to keep up to date with all the latest Disney news and rumors? Then make sure to check out www.disneybrit.com, your number one source for the magical world of Disney. shadows of Mount Everest, a train awaits. But be warned, those attempting to reach the summit must face him. Expedition Everest, the peak of adventure, only at Disney's Animal Kingdom Park. You see my French. The computer makes life easier. <laughs> Saves me time and headaches too. He sorts things out. I have a huge collection of Disney books, uh, ranging from theme parks to music to you name it. But I've, I've got one in front of me that is brand new to me, a brand new sort of 
subject area related to Disney. It's written by Newton Lee and Christina Madej, and it's entitled Disney's Stories Getting to Digital. And I had this sent through to me, and it came in a lovely hardback cover, wrapped up in beautiful foil, and I'm thinking, what is this? This looks amazing. And, and I've been having the opportunity over the past couple of weeks to delve through this book and find out just what it's all about. Well, the authors, Newton and Christina, join me. Hello, the pair of you. Hello. Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you. How are you? I mean, in sunny California, I believe at least one of you is. Yes. And I'm in sunny Vancouver. Oh, so it's both sunny, so that's all good. Well, uh, Newton's the CEO of Newton Lee Laboratories, and Christina is, I got this right, the visiting assistant professor at the School of Literature, Communications and Culture at the Georgia Institute of Technology, Atlanta, and Adjunct University. Is that right? Adjunct professor oh, at the Georgia School Tech. for Inter- well, Interactive well, Arts and Technology. Is that right? Most people know the School of Georgia Tech. Right, yeah. so the School of Georgia Tech, that would have been much easier, wouldn't it? There we go. Um, do you guys want to explain a little bit about, about this book? Because it's, it's a book that I, I would guess a lot of people may never have heard of before. And kind of why you came round to write it and sort of uh, what you sort of aimed to get out of writing the book. Well, let me start uh, by saying that I came up with the idea of a Disney book in 2008. Uh, two years after I left Disney Online. And then Christina and I gave some talks together in Vancouver, and we decided to collaborate on the book together. And what was the sort of aim, uh, Christina, for the book? Is it aimed towards a particular target audience, or is this sort of an an academic book, or is it a book that anybody can enjoy? Well, yeah, um, Newton came uh, with a lot of experience from... From Disney, he'd been there for ten years, and he had a lot of information about digital, the digital side of Disney stories. And I had been researching Disney stories from an animation point of view, uh, and uh, because they'd been around for a hundred years, I'd been doing a lot of research and narrative on that side. And when Newton and, and Newton and I met back in two thousand and three, when I was writing about narrative. And then when we were, uh, I had always wanted to write a book on, on Disney stories, and Newton and I were talking about it one day, and he had all of this material on digital on the years between uh, 1995 and 2005 when he worked there, and I had all of this material on narrative uh, wrapped around Disney's uh, work in it for over 100 years. So uh, it seemed that it was an excellent match. It seemed that um, I could uh, I could get what I wanted out of the book, which is to write the story of Disney's narratives. And Newton could uh, ex- could share his huge experience on the digital side of things. And because video games are such a a major part of storytelling these days, it seemed appropriate to take uh, the Disney story back from the 1920s when when uh, uh, little animations, seven-minute or two-minute animations were the huge thing then, to now when, uh, when video games are the big thing. And to take the stories over the hundred years. And, and between the two of us, we had a significant amount of material that could then be translated to, to tell this story. One of the things I love about the book is, is that, that idea that it's such a unique take. You know, there are hundreds of books talking about the, the history of the theme park and the theme park development and there's goodness knows how many biographies about Walt Disney's life and about his progression through the animation industry to, to beginning with laughograms and going all the way up to his full-length features but I don't think there's anywhere that there's any sort of focus so much on um, that digital progression you know from the very early days of Walt being in a shed in the back garden all the way up to what we've now got as a, a multi-billion dollar company. And um, 
the intriguing thing for me with the book is that it, it takes us on that journey. And not only does it take us on a journey through Disney, and one of the things I really loved about it as I was reading through it was that it actually puts it into context of, of Hollywood history, that we actually talk about Disney, but at the same time you talk about what everybody else is doing as well. Was that sort of a conscious decision to make it so it's comparable to what everybody else was doing at the time? It seemed important not to make Disney a god. It seemed really important to show how he fit into into the world. Um, even though he is a, a hero to a huge number of people, um, there are many, many other really excellent technologists, uh, uh, narrators, filmmakers, and and I thought that it would be most appropriate to to not compare, but to put uh, put him in that sphere mm. of uh, of what everyone else was doing, and that would give. I thought I thought that that would give the story far more credence, um, more credibility, uh, and and give value to to our understanding of how narr- how he developed narrative. Because in comparison to other people, he really did a wonderful, wonderful job. Yeah, definitely. You know, he, he is the the storyteller supreme, I suppose. And uh, let's just go back to the beginning of the book, because uh, Newton, uh, what the first sort of chapter talks about an interview with Roy E. Disney. And now, I, you know, as soon as I saw that when I first opened it, I was like, wow. <laughs> he, you know, Newton has sat and spoken to the man who has done so much for the Disney company. How was that as an experience? And, and what did you think that sort of um, element to the book added to what you were trying to discover? Uh, it was incredible. Uh, I had a lot of uh, incredible experience working at Disney, and to meet uh, to meet with Roy E. Disney was uh, just incredible. Um, in uh, 2003, I started a nonprofit magazine called Computers and Entertainment, uh, published by the ACM, and I decided that well, uh, Roy E. Disney would be a perfect uh, person to interview for the magazine. So I, um, so my friend uh, Bob Lambert at Disney at the time, uh, uh, arranged the uh, interview for me. Uh, and so I was very nervous, actually, meeting Roy <laughs> Disney himself. <laughs> yes, but he was very mellow and very easy to talk to. Hmm. He was just like uh, you know, your old friend, you know. So, so it, was, it was amazing. So, um, so I recorded, actually, the interview was a video interview. So it's audio and video also, and it's published in... Uh, in the ACM Digital Library. Mm-hmm. So I have it uh, transcribed and uh, put in the book so people can read it, can read the text. Yeah, it's a fantastic read as well. It's really interesting to see the sort of things Roy sort of talks about that in there. And you've sort of just touched on something about it being sort of digitally archived. And one of the things I found throughout the book is at the bottom of nearly every single page is a YouTube reference. And this, was, this sort of took me back a little bit, and I, I sort of kind of went, wow, this is somebody who's actually written a, a book here and is actually referencing YouTube as a source. And I was thinking about this and thinking, wow, I don't think I've ever seen this before. And, and certainly, as I was looking through it and reading some of the elements, it talks about, you know, it talks about elements from The Three Little Pigs, for example. And you've kind of referenced that particular part of the clip. So the reader can actually sit there, can use YouTube, can can look at what you're talking about as they're reading it. And I, I thought it was a really clever use of, of sort of digital technology, with the book obviously being about digital technology, um, and be able to share those stories as well. Was that, again, something very conscious uh, that you thought about when you were writing, or was it something that sort of came about accidentally? Well, it, uh, Newton, if I recall, we had both things in mind. I know that we really wanted to have a, a connection between what people could see, and it's very difficult in a, in a book 
to mm. to give that you know three dimensional animation film thing going on. So um, it happened that we couldn't put as many photographs in the book as we'd like to, um, and our alternative was to was to uh, reference all of the YouTube. Uh, videos that we would have that we wanted in in an electronic book, for instance. Once you know, if this is electronic, and then you have all of these little websites and little YouTube things that you can go to, then the book becomes it, then the book itself, the electronic book itself, becomes very interactive in much the same way that video games are. You know, yeah, so yeah. it's just a. I remember, remember we did we talked about that Newton. Um, yes, Newton, you're still there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the book uh, talks a lot about the digital age, the new media age uh, that we live in today. Um, in fact, uh, at Disney Online, where I worked for almost 10 years, I uh, I met Michael Einstein and Bob Iger many times in wow. uh, group meetings. And they emphasized the fact that, you know, digital media is, is the future. It's the present and the future. Hmm. So uh, now this is what Disney is investing heavily in. Yeah, so the book is a, is a, is a hope of, uh, of being able to show people that uh, we have this print copy because I'm, I'm a lover of print. I just love books, you know, and I think everything's important in the book format. But the idea that people, a lot of people, for instance, right now I have the book, I have my computer, often I have the TV in front of me, I've got everything going on at the same time. And when I'm reading something, whether it's in a magazine or a newspaper or a book, I invariably am referencing it on Google, you know. So it's just, uh, I think it's a style that's happening Mm. to people these days, which didn't exist 10 years ago. And we have this wonderful facility to, to, to access these images with all these wonderful people like you who have, you know, who have huge histories of, mm. of information on, on, you know, on their websites. And, uh, and, and so the book is trying to access all of that for, for people. And I think it's such a brave decision as well uh, by you guys, because one of the other things you do in the book is you reference like bloggers and, and, and fan sites and things like that yeah. who have got interesting articles. And, you know, I think there was, uh, like you say, 10 years ago, I think there was uh, a sort of stigma about, you know, how can a professional academic write a book and take things from fans and sources such as YouTube and you took sort of took that and and have used it so well I think I'm good well I'm glad you like it because that <laughs> that's really important I think that people out there who love Disney have spent so many hours thousands and thousands of hours yeah should access that yeah I, I completely agree with you now Nietzsche you just mentioned a little while ago that you spent sort of 10 years working at Disney online do you want to explain a little bit about what exactly your role was as part of, uh, of setting all of that up sure um, I started uh, making games mostly Java games uh, at Disney online back in 1996 and uh, from there on I uh, got involved more into um, web design um, uh, well, let me think. Because I know you were involved in a lot of the virtual community stuff as well, were you not? Yes, yes. Um, okay, let me start over. So, um, yeah, I joined Disney Online in 1996. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we know, uh, that's the year that Disney uh, launched the website Disney.com. Mm-hmm. So I was uh, fortunate to be one of the first uh, 100 employees uh, at Disney Online. And uh, we grew that, you know, the website, the web presence for Disney. So by the time I left in 2006, we had over 15 million unique visitors. Wow. So it was a tremendous growth. Huge. And, yes. And during that uh, period, uh, I worked on many, many things. So one of them was uh, Business Blast, which was a, probably the first subscription-based uh, product on the Internet. Um, and that was successful. 
Yes. So this is glass was uh, mostly games and toys uh, for kids. Mm -hmm. So it's very kids-friendly and, and a safe environment uh, for children to, to uh, play you know, online. And um, I just want to reference sort of one of the, the, the games that you talk about, uh, which is this P.I. Mickey. And in the book there, you talk about the eight, uh, eight storyboards that are within that uh, particular game and then also talk about the gameplay element. What was it about... Uh, uh, P.I. Mickey, and, and again, you talk about this word edutainment in there as well. Is this something that, again, was conscious for, for the web design uh, and for the, those elements that edutainment was sort of embedded all the way through? Yes. Um, P.I. Mickey was one of my favorites. Um, although it was never launched, uh, but it was designed by myself and uh, Cliff Johnson, whom I work with, mm -hmm. uh, who is an amazing uh, game designer. And I was basically the um, game programmer. So together we, and also with graphic artists, together we put together a set of games uh, that's, that's around this concept of a, you know, a private investigator who is Mickey Mouse. So, so uh, it's, it's called, ed it's an ed educational game because uh, not only is it, is it fun to play, it also teaches you, mm -hmm. um, think, uh, make you uh, solve problems. Uh, so it's very, you know, it's very uh, interesting. Um, so that's why I featured in in the book because it really showcased uh, what, you know, what uh, Disney can do uh, with the, I mean, what Disney can do uh, with concepts initiated by, by, um, um, let me think. Mm. Okay, it showcased the freedom that uh, Disney the online employees have mm -hmm. to new ideas and to implement new ideas. Now, whether the ideas we will launch as products is another issue because it may have to do with funding, uh, you know, all product uh, cycle and all kinds of things mm -hmm. and so on. But at least we get to do it. We get to show it to the upper management yeah. and, you know, and we get to, you know, express ourselves. And a lot of games do get, you know, into the products, become products, and we get a lot of feedback from kids and also parents, which is exciting mm. because our, our parents are playing the same games with the kids and they give us feedbacks, uh, interesting ideas, how to improve the games, or just the fact that they really love the, uh, love the, the ideas and the gameplay. And the educational aspect was really important as well. Mm -hmm. Disney's Disney was, um, you know, was back involved in entertainment from the '40s on, and mm. I know that um, I know that Newton and his crew often talked about uh, how these concepts were educational. One of the other uh, one of the other games that they had was uh, supported by Kaufman um, and it, uh, the Hotshot business, which was also developed as an educational type game. So education seems to be entertainment seems to be a very important aspect of it, isn't it? Um, isn't it, Newton? Yes, that's correct. I think yeah. throughout the whole of Disney, isn't it? Edutainment is such a big thing, whether it, it doesn't matter what medium it is that we're talking about here, whether it be the films, online platforms, games, uh, theme parks, that edutainment is such a big thing. And that and synergy as well. Was synergy sort of a big thing within the online um, activity you were involved in? You know, that, it, that it was important that many of the projects and aspects you worked on also related to other areas of the Disney company? Yes, definitely. Uh, there's a huge synergy among all the business units 
as we know, this is a huge company, um, ABC, ESPN, and of course Disneyland, and all the theme parks, mm-hmm. and even music, like Hollywood Records, um, and of course the mo- all the movies. Yeah. Um, so, uh, for example, when Disney is preparing to launch a huge movie, then we have, then we will start working on the website and games and stories and all kinds of things online so that when the movie is ready, then we launch the whole site okay. along with the movie. There was an element That's of that with Pirates of the Caribbean, wasn't there? Yes. Sorry, Christina. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to mention that, you know, that's one of the very exciting things about Disney. You go back all the way back to the 1930s when Walt Disney had that idea of taking his stories, taking his characters and carrying them across all media. At that time, of course, they didn't have digital, they didn't have video games, but they had all kinds of other things that he Mm. got involved in, whether it was theater or whether it was books or whether it was cartoons. He did that then. And now, as Newton says, you know, the company makes certain that uh, that any new story that comes out just moves across all, uh, you know, it's just transmedial. It mm. just moves across all the media that's available. It's really exciting for kids, too, because then as they grow up, you know, they can take these stories across everything that they do on a day-to-day, you know, on a day-to-day basis. It's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing. Mm, yeah, I agree. Now, you're talking about, uh, obviously, online, and we're talking about things like Pirates of the Caribbean and those sort of elements. And, and obviously, there's been a, a, a real change in Disney's, sort of virtual presence and this idea of these virtual communities. You've already mentioned about uh, Disney's Daily Blast. <coughs> oh, excuse me. But also we've got things like, uh, you talk about Toontown, uh, Chat Studio, um, and then we've got other elements, things like Virtual Magic Kingdom, which obviously links very well with the theme parks, and also things like Club Penguin, which are now is a huge um, element online, which a lot of uh, young children know about. Now, did you work on or were you involved in any way to do with Virtual Magic Kingdom or was that sort of after your time? Um, no, I didn't, I, I didn't work on that right. uh, much. So. Um, no, but Toontown and all things that led up to that are yeah. certainly things that he is very familiar with. And I think that they, if you look at the things that are developed, that are being developed, there's a few new exciting things, but many of, many of, the, of the online... Um, sites that they have are a continuation or an expansion of ones that have created for new audiences, mm. 12 to 15 year old boys or specific, specific uh, uh, you know, about fairies or about mm-hmm. a, a different topic or about a different age group. Uh, though I think that they are now moving into even more exciting um, mobile applications as well. Aren't they new? Yes. Certainly with things like the mobile magic that's going on as well and a lot of the games and, and obviously iPad apps and all those sort of things. Right. Uh, Disney yeah, Digital yes. Books, I believe, is, is a huge uh, sort of seller for Disney at the moment, taking that media, uh, a printed book, and putting it onto, onto a computer. Oh, yeah, all kinds of nice apps that you can get. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's actually a completely different environment now for little kids. Mm, um, and for medium-sized kids and for older kids, yes, too. Yes, I, I must admit, I do catch myself playing on my son's club penguin username every now and again. Um, now, I, I want to talk to you both about this virtual community element, which you, you talk about towards the back of the book, um, because we had this development from uh, from Daily Blast to Toontown, Chat Studio, etc. Was this, do you think, Disney's reinvention of the wheel, or was there a progression between each of the different platforms that they came up with? Um, I think Disney is... Uh uh, pioneer itself, we, we reinventing the wheels. That's why I'm thinking. 
Um, for example, let me think. Well, things like Chat Studio were new. Things like the, some of the the way that they approached things were quite new. Mm. Uh, and um, and I know that they I know that Newton was ahead of the game uh, for by a couple of years in, in quite a number of the games and things that he did. And then people sort of caught up with them. Since then, um, I'm, I'm uh, I don't know, Newton. Do you think that the things we've been doing since then are reinventing the wheel, or do you think that they're completely new and it's you know different from what you what you worked on there? Is that what you were asking? Adam? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, just because obviously Disney have changed so many different things. It's whether that that you think Disney have, have almost stagnated with the development of, uh, of virtual online platforms, or whether it it has developed still over time. Since then, hmm. yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Newton? Hmm. Well, uh, well, going back to okay. So, for example, Toontown Online. Um, it uh, at that time it was pretty uh, amazing because. Uh, uh, all the multiplayer games, massively multiplayer games, were mostly for adults. Um, and Disney was the first one to actually come up with a, with a um, solution uh, with environments that's uh, safe for kids. Hmm. So they have like safe chat. So you can, you know, they don't have open chat, but, you know, you have to select uh, uh, pre, um, predefined phrases, mm-hmm. send them to... Uh, to your online friends uh, when you're playing uh, with them in the Toontown environment. So, and also they invented uh, Panda 3D, which is the, uh, the virtual reality engine, game engine, uh, and that is uh, actually open source. So they gave, it, they gave it out for free to anybody who wants to develop uh, 3D games. Oh, wow. uh, it's Panda 3D. It was quite interesting you just said that because uh, it was a point I was going to come on to next about this suddenly becoming an online arena for children. Was there some sort of trepidation within Disney Online at this thought of suddenly giving children access to a website of which they would be able to interact with what really was complete strangers? Right. That's why uh, safety was the number one concern. It still is. Mm. So uh, that's why uh, open chat was not available, unlike other... Uh, in the multiplayer, mm-hmm. multiplayer games uh, for adults. Excellent. Yeah, I say uh, uh, certainly they've kept with that theme. Certainly with Virtual Magic Kingdom, uh, Club Penguin, all those sort of things. That is something that Disney and, is still very, very much. Uh, yeah. Top also, of. Um, yeah, and also as we know, a lot of games uh, are pretty violent, mm. and so even though there are you no know, comebacks uh, actions in Toontown Online. Mm-hmm. Um, the violence was kind of minimized or, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, using, for example, using water guns instead of real guns, <laughs> things like that. Right. Okay. It's kind yeah, of more fun. And, and also Mickey Mouse will never die. Mm-hmm. You just have to, you know, I mean, your, your avatar will never die. You no. just have to take him to the, uh, or her to the uh, swimming pool or to, you know, to the, to the pool area where, you know, they can regenerate. Right. Okay. That's the, very the, chat, the chat thing was interesting. Can I just go back because I just want to clarify something. I think that one of the things that, that Newton had done is they had two levels of chat. One which was a general chat so you could actually mm-hmm. talk to, as you say, the 50,000 people in the world and not worry about it because those were limited types of conversations. Mm. But you could also have a, a, like a, you could create a friend chat between people who knew each other where you could then actually talk on a more realistic basis. So I think one of the things that Newton said was about the safety issue and the fact that because this is from a very young to a very old age mm. and you're dealing sometimes with kids who are four, five, or six years old, there was that really that great importance of, of, of having those two levels of chat so that 
little kids couldn't get involved in um, in, in discussions with people who might in some way harm them. Mm, right, yeah. Newton? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, if you have real friends online, uh, I mean, if you have real friends in the real world that are you know, playing together in the virtual world, mm. then you'll be able to uh, send each other a secret password so you mm. can actually uh, uh, chat or have open chat. And the password expires in you know, a certain number of, of uh, minutes. And from my point of view, I, having a five-year-old son who uses Club Penguin, um, you know, it's great to know that Disney have put all of those things in place and it's so well thought out that those, those elements aren't going to be a concern to those people who are using any Disney online platform. Exactly, yeah, because it is family. It's a family site, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, I, we're coming to the end of our time, but I can't go without asking about one thing that I, I found uh, towards the end of the book as I was getting towards the end of reading that I was just intrigued about and at the same time slightly bemused about, and I, I searched for it using the YouTube link uh, in the book, and that is this song, uh, Keep the Love Online. Now, Newton, I believe it was part of a, almost like a four-day training program that you're involved in. Do you want to explain a little bit about, about what this song was all about and how it came about? Yes, of course. Okay, let me give you some interesting background information. <laughs> um, so, um, as I said before, we have, uh, in, in the early days of Disney Online, uh, you know, when we have uh, a small crew of uh, employees, and so we are like a family. So we love to do a lot of fun things together, like playing ping pong and stuff like that um, during breaks. So uh, we decided to write a song together. And of course, we have to perform it too, and which we did. So, and uh, we came up with a name called uh, Keep the Love Online because we are like a family. So family is love, right? <laughs> So, uh, and of course, we are virtual, you know, not just real family, but Mm -hmm. the virtual expanding out online on internet space. So that's why we call the song Keep the Love Online. And we have two versions. Uh, We have the radio edit and we have the dance uh, club version. That's right, yes. Yes. So um, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I decided to put it up on YouTube for people to to listen to. because uh, in the beginning, it was just for you know, a few of us to enjoy. And we actually played it to the upper management at Disney Online at the mm-hmm. time. And they loved it, too. <laughs> and now, I guess with, the, with this book, I decided to, okay, why not show it to the whole world so they can listen to it and enjoy it. And also, yes. we go back to the edutainment point again, that actually it does have quite an important point attached to it as well. Yes. <laughs> Which is fantastic. So I'm, I'm pleased to see that it's in there. And in fact, we're, we're going to play it to our listeners in a few minutes so they can hear it as oh, well. Excellent. Because uh, they, they're probably all sitting there going, what on earth is he on about? So we'll play it to them in a second so they can hear it. Well, um, the last thing in the book is uh, right at the very back is the timelines. And again, timelines exist all over the place to do with Disney. What I really like about this, the timelines at the back, is that you've, you've separated them up into the beginning, into the televisions and the theme parks. There's also a digital and an internet timeline as well which is really great to see and again I looked through them all and went and, and didn't realise about some of the elements and some of the milestones, especially, certainly digitally that Disney were involved in but um, if people want to get hold of the book where is the best place for them to go and source it? I guess Amazon Amazon has it and Springer so if you go to either the, the uh, Amazon website or the Springer publishing website both mm-hmm. of those and if you just key in Disney stories getting to digital actually if you just go to Google 
and Disney Story is getting to digital. It'll take you both to the Amazon and to the Springer sites and both of those. And, and uh, Springer actually has it available as an ebook. I noticed that. And, and if you're in a university and you're part of the Springer ebook um, uh, ebook family, then you get the book for a quarter the price that they sell it to wow. individuals. So there yeah, go. so you just, it's, it's a sign into your university. And the good news is it's available in UK and US Amazon as well, and obviously on Springer. Uh, well, thank you both for joining me and giving us an insight to the book. Uh, it truly is a, quite an, an insightful read as to how Disney came about with all of their digital media and how they, they progressed through the years from the early 1900s all the way through today. So thank you uh, for both of you for coming on. It's really been a pleasure to have you. And uh, we're going to leave everybody now with uh, a little snippet from... Uh, from your wonderful song, uh, from uh, which is Keep the Love Online. So thank you both. Thank you. Thank you.
with all the latest Disney news and rumors? Then make sure to check out www.disneybrit.com, your number one source for the magical world of Disney. Welcome back, everyone. Hello. Hello. On behalf of our entire flight crew, Thanks for soaring with us. This is Disney Brit Bites, and I am Adam Goodger from the Disney Brit Podcast over at DisneyBrit.com. Have you ever been to the parks and thought about doing something a little bit different to maybe watching shows, parades, or riding attractions? Well, there's one great hidden way of enjoying yourself in the park, and they are called Hidden Mickeys. Hidden Mickeys can be found all over the resort, whether it be in hotels, in the middle of attractions, in the middle of streets or themed areas. These are silhouette Mickeys that have been purposely placed there by Imagineers for people to hunt and find them. And Hidden Mickeys are changing constantly around Walt Disney World. You can find them all over the place. Interested? Well, you can head over to hiddenmickeysguide.com and find out where the Hidden Mickeys currently are and even submit one that you found yourself. There's also some great Hidden Mickeys books you can find in the park. This certainly is Disney's best-kept secret. So why don't you go out and hunt yourself some Hidden Mickeys? This is Adam from the Disney Brit Podcast, bringing you Disney Brights for Orlando Sky Radio. On behalf of our entire flight crew, thanks for soaring with us. With every sun that comes up, comes the question, where to go to go out on this town? Downtown Disney. It's like hitting the hot spots of every happening city on the planet. Restaurants you've read about. Shops you've dreamed about. Clubs that cut your curiosity loose. Downtown Disney. In a city of choices, the metropolis of fun. Orlando Sky Radio, your vacation station. You're listening to the Disney Brit Radio Show with your host, Adam. Hello, welcome back. You'll notice that the show is a little bit different once again this week, and uh, that's because we've got some news to share with you, something we wanted to tell you about the direction that Disney Brit Podcast and is taking from now on. And you'll notice in that little indent you heard just then, 
It doesn't actually say the Disney Brit podcast anymore because although we are going to still be producing the Disney Brit podcast, it's actually going to be coming after our Disney Brit radio show because the show is going to be live now uh, on Orlando Sky Radio. It's going to be happening every other Monday evening. It's going to be beginning at 9 p.m. British time, UK time, which is 4 p.m. Eastern time. And the show is going to be very much live on uh, Orlando Sky Radio. The show is going to be an hour, and that hour you'll be able to listen to, as I've said, live, but you'll also be able to get as a podcast. Uh, now, it means that the show is going to sound slightly different. At the minute, the show is very much produced. You know, we record a lot of the segments separately. We then bring them all together, piece them all together, and we put all the different elements in afterwards. Whereas now, just like today, uh, the show is just going to run beginning to end. What you may have noticed, I don't know whether you have or not, is that actually the show today has been recorded live in one continuous take. The music, all those different elements that have been coming in and out have been done as we go along. Whereas, as I've said in the past, the Disney Brit podcast used to be that we would record those segments, pre-edit everything, and, and, and it would go out in that way. We wanted to give it a slightly different take because we wanted, we always wanted the Disney Brit uh, show to be... Um, fresh and uh, we've got the opportunity now with us having Orlando Sky Radio that we could have a go at doing this and giving this a try so you will hear a much more radio show style uh, rather than it being a podcast style you're going to hear things like this all the way through you are listening to the Disney Brit Radio Show with your hosts Adam, Juz and Kez so those sort of things will come in and out all the way through the show but it's not the only show that's going to be appearing on uh, the Orlando Sky Radio from us guys. We've already got Iron Orlando, which uh, does appear on there, and will again continue to doing that. Craig has, of course, got his Craig the Console show on there. But uh, we're going to be bringing you every other week the Disney Brit Radio show and one other show. Uh, now, you may or may not have heard of this show recently. Um, we have been talking about doing this show, I've been talking about doing this show for a little while, and we decided to do sort of a test one on Orlando Sky Radio, uh, not last Monday, the Monday before, and we were so pleased with the way that it was going, we actually then tweeted out to everybody and spoke to them, because we've um, we've extended a segment, we had a segment on the Disney Brit podcast you may know of called the Disney Island Discs, where we asked you to, uh, people to choose their top three songs that they would take on a desert island. We had a really positive response from people about Disney Island Discs, so what we actually decided to do was to create a, an entire hour an entire hour radio show called the disney island disc radio show where we play music from uh, walt disney world from the films from television theater you name it we're going to be playing uh, music from anything within the disney world and maybe that's some week that it's a theme it may be some week that it's just a random selection of things so um Last or two weeks ago, uh, two weeks next, on Monday, uh, we played uh, music from the Magic Kingdom when we took a tour through each of the areas of the Magic Kingdom and played an hour's worth of music from each of those different areas. Now, this coming Monday, if you are around OrlandoSkyRadio.com, it's going to be on at 4 p.m. Eastern, that's 9 p.m. UK time, will be another Disney Island Discs radio show. Whereas this time, we're going to be going on a tour of Epcot and we've got loads of music from the uh, Epcot Center, which we're going to play to you. It may be music that is current, maybe something that's currently going on. It may be music from an old attraction, some retro music. Maybe there'll be some Horizons music that will appear there at some point. We've got a huge selection of music that we're going to use. And again, that's going to have its own style. Uh, and that will be every other week. So from now on, every single Monday night, you'll be able to enjoy something from us with regards to Disney. If it's not a Disney Brit podcast week, then it will be a Disney Island Discs week. Now, the Disney Brit podcast, as we said, will be... 
um, downloadable as a podcast, but the Disney Island Disc Radio Show won't due to PRS restrictions. And uh, obviously, it's going to be a show full of music. It's, it's a lot, lot harder. So we won't be releasing that as a, as a podcast download, but you will be able to listen to that. Uh, anyway, and uh, we we just kind of hope that you are going to enjoy the new shows, enjoy exactly how we're going to be running the new shows, uh, and all of those uh, elements. And, and fingers crossed, it'll be something that you're going to enjoy. And like I say, uh, hopefully, it's something you guys are going to find a fresher, beneficial, a little bit different. And of course, we want to hear from you guys about what you think about the changes we're making podcast at disneybrit.com we're also looking for people to come on to disney island discs maybe share their top three songs and all those uh, elements as well as all the other music that we're going to play on the show so please please do email us podcast at disneybrit.com but uh, that is pretty much it for this week's show <laughs> It looks like we're going to finish a couple of minutes shy of our usual hour show, which is what it's going to cover. Thank you once again for joining us on this edition of the Disney Brit podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody for coming, but uh, there's nobody here to thank it. It's just me. So we need to thank our sponsors. So thank you to Attraction Tickets Direct. You can find them at attraction-tickets-direct.co.uk. And of course, to the wonderful guys over at Touring Plans, where you can find all of the latest uh, lines, all the latest uh, crowd calendars, and those fantastic toy plans to get you around that park with the minimum weight possible while you are there. As I've already mentioned, you can email us your questions, your comments, and your suggestions. They are to podcast at disneybrit.com, and you can also ring our US voicemail, which is 407-545-7980. If you want to leave us a voicemail, and you don't want it to cost you a penny, then you can go to disneybrit.com, and on the right-hand side of the webpage, there is an uh, icon you can click on, and you can record your own voicemail straight to the website, and we can pick that up, and we can play that as part of the show as well. Also, make sure to check out uh, all of the other elements of our website as well, disneybrit.com. You've got to find out all the latest news and rumours everything that is going on in the world of Walt Disney World and Disneyland Paris as well as movies you name it we saw Brave this week you better check out our review of Brave over on that website as well and we will be talking about Brave on the radio show in a couple of weeks time don't forget to check out our Facebook page our Disney Brit fan page our uh, Disney Island Disc fan page our Twitter all of those things are available for you you can friend it myself Juz and Kez of course uh, so find us all over there on Facebook too please make sure you leave us a review on iTunes it's great when people leave reviews it really does help those people who've never heard the show before to know what exactly they let themselves in for when they press that download or subscribe button we've also got a YouTube channel you can check that out for some latest videos from a recent trip to Disneyland Paris uh, also there's uh, some photos from the New World of Disney store over on disneybrick.com so don't miss those as well you can also check out our sister radio show and podcast Eye on Orlando do please make sure you begin to pick uh, those up because they're always uh, a great show they are every week that we do those shows um, and that's pretty much it, I think. And that leaves me with nothing else to tell you other than I say the next Disney Brit podcast. In fact, the, the first ever Disney Brit radio show will be coming to you live, absolutely live, and I mean this, on the 30th of July. So until then, we'll see you. <laughs>